Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons Podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Welcome back, everyone. This is John Serma and Karen Tynan inviting you back for another Ogletree Workplace Health and Safety podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about workplace violence and some of the things that OSHA, both federal OSHA and California OSHA are doing with respect to workplace violence. Karen and I are very happy to have with us two of our workplace uh, safety and health practice area colleagues. We've got Philip Jones in the Indianapolis office, and we've got Wayne Hingston uh, from the Philly office. Philip, if you'd go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience, and then we'll ask Wayne to do the same. Yeah, so nice to uh, virtually meet everyone. Uh, I am an associate in our Indianapolis office at Ogletree Deacons. Uh, my practice kind of focuses on a lot of different things uh, as I get assigned uh, to different matters, but I like to really focus my uh, academic attention and interest towards workplace safety and health where I can. And I also have a wife who is a doctor, so uh, the issue of workplace violence in the healthcare setting is something that is uh, particularly interesting to me and has uh, a lot of meaning to it. Fantastic. Well, that's wonderful. I didn't know that about your wife. And so this certainly is timely. Uh, Wayne, would you mind giving our audience a little bit of an introduction of yourself? Sure, John. Good to be here. Uh, my name is Wayne Pinkstone, and I'm a shareholder in Philadelphia office. And my practice uh, focuses on workplace safety. And the topic today on workplace violence and, and, and specifically the healthcare setting is one that uh, I, I feel that uh, recently I've been having dealt with few inspections and, and I look forward to discussing it. Well, fantastic. Well, let's start off with kind of level setting for everybody. And that level set is, is succinctly this, that Federal OSHA doesn't have a workplace violence standard at this point in time, but they certainly haven't been totally and completely inactive on the, on the subject. Could you two kind of give the audience a little bit of a, a background and a little bit of history on, on what OSHA at the federal level has done relative to workplace violence? Why don't I start? So generally speaking, as you said, John, uh, OSHA does not have a specific standard on workplace violence, but what OSHA has done, and, and OSHA has, has affirmatively stated that workplace violence is a focus of theirs. It is a concern of theirs, specifically in healthcare, social services, and, and late night retail uh, industries. And what they've done is, is they've, they've generally looked to and applied their general duty clause, section 5A1, um, which, which generally imposes an obligation on employers to, to provide workers with a, with a place of employment that's, that's free from recognized hazards, essentially a catch-all. And OSHA has looked to 5A1 and enforced 5A1 with respect to issues dealing with workplace violence. 
So it's really, although there's no specific standard, they have applied 5A1. And then I'm sure we'll get this. There's also some general guidance and compliance directives that they've issued as well that, that have provided some, some additional guidance in the area. I think whenever you hear general duty clause, you think of some kind of amorphous, kind of scary, ambiguous term that really is everything and anything. But I think it's important to note, like Wayne mentioned, um, OSHA has used 5A1 and general duty clause to enforce the idea that workplace violence is an issue. Uh, As recently as 2019, um, the... uh, Review Commission upheld a citation um, that was issued to a healthcare employer where an employee fatally stabbed or was fatally stabbed by um, a mentally ill patient. Uh, so even in that instance, uh, that OSHA kind of felt, hey, um, we need to step in here. Um, the general duty clause applies and that's been upheld. And, and so that's something that we can look towards as an example of what might be cited under a future standard regulation. In the last 10 years or so, I know OSHA hasn't limited itself to issuing general duty clause citations in the context of healthcare or social services, late night retail. I know of several cases, you know, the, the Black uh, Friday cases where uh, workplace violence incidents have led to citations. I know there's been incidents um, in the Kansas City area where a telecommunications worker was killed and, and a general duty clause uh, citation was issued. What's been your experience or what's your understanding of kind of the trend that OSHA has taken relative to workplace violence citations and, and kind of the scrutiny that they're applying to workplace violence, regardless of what the setting might be? So, John, my experience has been that if if OSHA believes that there's a a, a known or, or foreseeable risk of workplace violence, I think regardless of the setting, frankly, they are going to focus on that. They see that as a concern. They're going to focus their inspection on known potential hazards, for example, Let's say it's coworker on coworker of uh, violence, regardless of setting. If they are, if they're conducting an inspection because of a complaint or a referral, they're going to look to whether or not the potential for workplace violence was foreseeable, was known. So, although they do specifically state in their guidance um, and in their compliance directives that healthcare and social services and late night retail are of particular concern because I think that's where they they routinely see the most incidences of workplace violence. Their focus and their concern applies broadly to most workplaces and specifically those where workplace violence may have been foreseeable or potentially known by the employer. I totally agree with Wayne. I mean, just if and when OSHA does decide to issue a standard on workplace violence and, and whether they tie that to the healthcare industry, which seemingly they plan to, that doesn't mean that employers in every other industry are, are going to be off scot-free. Um, and, and if anything, it, it gives the healthcare industry kind of more of a framework to go off of. And these industries may want to take an interest in what that framework is because they're not going to have necessarily that same framework without that 
official regulation uh, affecting their industry. But the general duty clause is still going to apply whether or not their industry is specifically named in any regulation that might be imposed this year or uh, in the future. Well, following up on that, Philip, my understanding is that there currently is a proposal for a standard relative to workplace violence in, in what's broadly characterized as the healthcare industry. Can one of you two comment on what your understanding of that proposal to be and you know, kind of what the features of it are? Yeah, so I could take the first stab at that. So what that's going to look like is is a few different things. Uh, employers in the healthcare industry would be expected likely to implement a written procedure and plan to respond to um, and to handle incidences of workplace violence, threats of workplace violence, reports of workplace violence. But that's not enough. Obviously, you can't just implement a plan without giving uh, your employees or your workplace, your customers, the tools to uh, affect that plan. Uh, so the any regulation would also uh, consider different administrative or engineering controls uh, to help eliminate any hazards and training. And so by administrative or engineering controls, that could take many forms. It, it, it could be, if you think uh, I, I'm relatively recent out of uh, school um, and thinking back to college campuses where they have these light, these light boxes throughout the campus uh, where a student could go and hit an emergency button quickly if, in case they can't call 911 and it, it alerts them to their location. So implementing uh, something similar to that, bright lighting, different door locks uh, that limit access to different areas, uh, maintaining alarm systems. All these things would be ways to affect a uh, valid and, and proper and effective workplace safety plan and procedure that you'd want to put in place. Do you think it's going to be so granular as to actually lay out the details of you know, as a, for instance, to use your expression or your, your examples, the, the call boxes, the doors that lock a certain way, et cetera, or, or is the expectation going to be that essentially employers make the determination of what is appropriate for their particular healthcare setting? I think it would likely be a mix of both, largely because every hospital, every uh, social care setting is different. Uh, the needs are different. Um, the expectations at, let's say, a mental health hospital is likely different than a senior care facility. So in that respect, it's not going to be a one-size-fits-all standard, but there's still going to be some sort of general framework, I, I, I would expect, in which employers are going to be held to to make sure that they are implementing effective procedures. I do think at any potential standard and and I were you know although it is on the horizon and, and the Department of Labor has identified uh, a workplace violence standard in the healthcare setting as a as a an OSHA regulatory pr- uh, priority so we, we we are anticipating something uh, emerging you know rel- relatively uh, soon I think what what we're likely going to see like Philip said is is a, is a general framework um, focusing on uh, putting a plan in place, training your workforce on that plan, 
enforcement of that plan. They're going to look for management commitment to, to, to that plan reporting requirements, maybe job hazard analyses. And, and, and as Philip said, part of that analysis would be putting in place engineering and potential administrative controls in the workplace. But I think it's going to be a general framework and, and they're going to look to employers in their particular industry to refine them and to apply those general standards to their unique situation. Well, thank you guys for hospitals kind of what do you vision or envision relative to how or or the expectations that will be placed upon just kind of general medical surgical hospitals versus the the mental health hospitals that philip spoke to earlier in the hospital setting it's been it's been my experience that the workplace violence or incidents of workplace violence have focused on although not always have been focused on the emergency rooms or emergency departments where hospitals are open to the general public particularly high volume city-based hospitals where there are a lot large volume of patients coming in from the public and there have been instances of of violence um um against whether it's other patients uh, or, or, or employees, physicians, nurses, nurses. So I, I think in the hospital setting, you're going to see it focused on the emergency room setting, but not totally. I think that the, the standard itself is going to apply to the healthcare setting in general. But I think if you're a hospital, you're going to really focus on that emergency room area. With respect to psychiatric uh, uh, facilities, or, or geriatric facilities, you don't see instances of, of, of public on the property. It's more coworker and patient, patients acting out, patients being violent. And I do think the standards that OSHA eventually will issue will look for those facilities to really apply standards in a unique way to their facility and to, and to the situations that, they're, that, they're, that their workers are dealing with. Philip, I'm going to pick on you a little bit because you had mentioned a couple of times the mental health hospitals um, and, and kind of following up on what Wayne spoke about in terms of his differentiation between the two. Do you have any thoughts on what this might look like in a mental health hospital or that type of setting? I think a lot of times in a mental health hospital, you are dealing with a more regular um patient base that you might have more experience with than, let's say, an emergency room where people are coming in and out on a daily basis. Uh, And so with that, you have a level of familiarity with your patients, with the medication they're on, with the reaction to those uh, medications, the side effects, and and also just the symptoms of whatever condition they're suffering from. And and in in that regard, you're able to compile or employers, uh, hospitals, mental health facilities would be able to compile like a guide for each employee that lists kind of their propensity for violence or the threat or concern for violence associated with that particular patient. And so that kind of assessment of, of a patient's uh, risk of violent behavior, I think would be something that if a mental health hospital hasn't already implemented, might be something that OSHA would look to as a way uh, for them to indicate that they are properly regulating workplace violence uh, at, at the location. You know, back in the day when I was doing a lot of this type of work, especially in the early 20 teens, you know, OSHA made reference to a couple of examples that involved 
yeah, it was whether it was on the social service side of things or on the the healthcare side of things, you know, folks that were going to the home of patients or recipients of care. Do you two think that you know, relative to this regulation going forward, uh, that we're likely to see something that would encompass that type of setting also? I do. Um, I, I think that you're likely to see um, a, a, a standard also uh, encompass field work, meaning, meaning typically it's home health care, home health care workers, or even social workers who make uh, home visits, who, who are providing care to patients who, who are homebound. So these workers are traveling to and entering the homes of, of these folks and at times uh, potentially experiencing violence, whether it's, it's, it's from the patients themselves or potentially other folks within the home. Um, I do think that you're going to see the standard and OSHA is going to expect, I think, employers in those areas to also put in place a workplace violence plan and, and, and strategy. So- and, and I also think, I mean, we, we've talked a lot about the uh, provider-patient relationship, but you also got to think about the co-worker relationship as well. Um, you know, it's, it's not just patients that are necessarily violent. It's, it can also be the person that you uh, work next to every day that, that, that might uh, display violence towards you. Uh, and so, I mean, even looking at just anti-bullying policies, I think is, is another kind of easy, low-hanging fruit that can be addressed if it isn't already addressed in a uh, home health care or um, hospitals policies. Do you envision this act by OSHA will have any impact or any bearing on, for lack of a better term, non-patient people that are present in the, the those settings, or do you think it's going to be limited to patients and staff? I think there'll be some overlap there between contractors that are in and out of the facilities, uh, for lack of a better word, customers, depending on the uh, setting or um, or family members, visitors uh, on site. Now, that being said, the policies and procedures might vary, whether it's an employee reporting an issue, um, dealing with an issue, a patient, a family member, visitor. So it's not necessarily, again, not necessarily going to be a one size fits all, um, I wouldn't expect. I do think that any uh, policy or any regulation would likely touch on every person that might be interacting with that location. And so before we shift over to Karen Tynan to talk about what's going on on the left coast in California, would one or both of you care to comment on where the proposed rule stands now and you know, when, and I'm going to say this broadly, healthcare industry representatives can realistically expect that this might go into effect? Yeah, so in terms of, of where it stands now, they, they OSHA has initiated consultation with business owners, small businesses with, with, within the healthcare context um, in order to solicit uh, uh, comments, opinion, issues that they may be experiencing. So we're, we're at the, although gem, at the initial stages of, I think, the rulemaking process, that process has started. Um, so they are gathering information. 
I think based on where they are now, I would think a, a rule may be coming down either either later this year or or in, in 20, 2024, which is probably more likely to see. So I think it is on the horizon. Um, I think the process has started. We, we, we know it's a focus. We know it's an emphasis. So, but I think uh, an actual standard, uh, I, I think sometime in, in, in 2024 is, is likely. Philip, do you have any thoughts that are any different than Wayne's thoughts about when this might come down? I, I totally agree with Wayne. I, I, I think uh, likely 2024, but yeah, 2024 more likely than 2023, I, I would expect. Um, I mean, this has been an issue that OSHA has opined on for years now, uh, go, going on better part of a decade. And so it's, it's not going anywhere. And for a long time, it hasn't been going anywhere fast. Uh, but uh, I think uh, the interest is, has really ramped up with uh, COVID-19. Um, and although uh, employers are starting to rebound from the pandemic, uh, I think this issue is only going to uh, kind of pick up steam. Well, guys, I appreciate your thoughts on this. And if you'd stick around, we're going to shift gears a little bit and talk with Karen Tynan. Karen is our West Coast OSHA share. And in that position, she is basically the person that stays on top of all things Cal OSHA. Welcome to the podcast, Karen. (laughs) For good or bad, Uh, everything West Coast Cal OSHA, I end up uh, monitoring and uh, working with. So, So thanks so much, John. Maybe it's not surprising, given that Doug Parker is now the Assistant Secretary of Labor OSHA, that some of this had at least, you know, kind of a a germ um, out when he was in California. Uh, But can you give us kind of a high level overview of what workplace violence regulations look like in California? Sure. I like that you point out um, Doug Parker going from Cal OSHA to Fed OSHA. And when that happened in the new time of the Biden administration, many people ask, well, what's this going to look like with Doug Parker? And I said, workplace violence and heat illness. And I think I was quite the prognosticator on that. So in California, what we have for workplace violence in 2023 is a healthcare standard called workplace prevention in healthcare. It's under Title VIII, Section 3342. And that has been in place for quite a few years. Healthcare facilities are very familiar with it. And and we'll dive down into some of those elements. But what we also have in California in 2023 is the draft for general industry, for all industries, um, a workplace violence prevention standard that would be Section 3343 it's in draft form in 2023. We're expecting a vote on it. And so those are the, the two regulations that are specific to workplace violence. And then, like Philip and Wayne were talking, certainly under the IIPP regulation, the Injury and Illness Prevention Program or plan regulation, uh, you're expected to address workplace violence under that, even if there's nothing specific uh, for your industry. So that's kind of the high level, uh, John, for where we are in 2023 on workplace violence in California. And I, I really like how we're drilling down into taking a look at what is required for employers. 
so thank you for that introduction, Karen. And 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 this may kind of inform kind of the the some of the the questions and some of the answers that Wayne and Philip were asked and gave. You know, as it stands now, what are the requirements in California relative to workplace violence in the healthcare setting? Sure. So we have Section 3342 for violence prevention in healthcare. And what I like to start out talking about in meeting those requirements is having the written plan, right? So we're very familiar with regulations that require us to have a written plan. And that certainly is the foundation. So with the plan that's required to be in writing and implemented, there are various aspects of it. And an important part of the requirement in the plan is having a person or a job title that's in charge of implementing the plan. It's just like the IIPP. You have to have that person named that is going to be responsible for the plan. And then as, as we kind of peel back the layers, you obviously have to have training and the training, there are elements of the training that are required for healthcare. And then you're going to have to make sure you have those training records, right? So, so that's another element of the plan. In addition, and, and an area that can be difficult to manage is the violent incident log. And that has to be maintained. You have to have a person who's going to be in charge of that. And that violent incident log has a lot of particular requirements. And it's important because Cal OSHA is entitled to see that log. There are some reporting requirements also, but the log, if it's not kept properly, is certainly um, like many other record keeping requirements, a citable offense. Let me interrupt you here for a second, Karen, on, on that piece. On this workplace violence incidents log, you know, what is the, the outcome when Cal OSHA takes a look at that log? I mean, what does Cal OSHA do based on that review of that log? That, now, see, that's a great question because a lot of times people think of logs as just a piece of paper that sits in a file and records something. But when you turn it over to Cal OSHA, much like when you provide your OSHA 300 log or other training records, it leads them into other areas of their um, investigation. For example, in the past, I've turned, uh, turned over a violent incident log and then suddenly an inspection that was about one incident because the log describes other incidents in it and has other maybe um, indications of a threat or an indication of an assault, it can quickly broaden the scope of an inspection into other incidents that, that maybe were viewed more benignly, but in the log look like a pattern or look like you've been provided notice about a particular patient or a particular activity or a particular hazard. So I like that question, John, because it, it shows California employers at a, in the healthcare industry that the log isn't just, you know, something you're keeping and that, that you know, stays in a binder. It really can uh, form a linchpin in an investigation. And so making sure that you're using the right wording in the log 
Are you using words like assaultive behavior? Are you using words like weapon to describe a paperclip, right? So, so how you uh, record incidents in the log is incredibly critical. So with that, John, also another important record keeping aspect is the training. And so it is onboarding training and annual training. So you've got initial training where, you know, maybe someone's new in a, in a unit or new to work. And then you've got your annual training. And, and typically what Cal OSHA is looking to see is, is pretty broad and vigorous and complete and a type of training where you'll have an interactive process, right? Where you'll have interaction, where you'll have dialogue, um, not just someone sitting looking at a PowerPoint about workplace violence. So it, it's critical that those training materials be maintained and that you're able to access them to show the type of training that everyone receives. So that's kind of a, a, a pretty high level overview of the plan requirements for healthcare industry in California under Cal OSHA. But, but I think it's super helpful to know that, that there's a lot of requirements, John. Yes, no, that, that, that's apparent. Let me ask you this kind of following up on, on that answer, you know, Philip and Wayne kind of alluded to, you know, potentially requirements relative to, you know, certain sorts of engineering controls. I've had cases where you know, you're talking about, you know, remotely controlled doors, panic buttons, you know, weighted furniture, that type of thing. Does the Cal OSHA healthcare workplace violence standard include the requirement for any specific engineering controls, or does it even require that employers look at engineering controls as a way of controlling or, or minimizing workplace violence against healthcare workers? Right. So in fixed workplaces, there is supposed to be an evaluation of the type of environmental risk factors and how you'll address those. For example, escape routes, right? The doors to escape routes, alarm systems and access to the alarm systems. So, so the regulation doesn't say each nurse must have a panic button on herself or something like that, right? There's, it doesn't get super granular, but it does put you on notice of, for example, the, the types of hazards and addressing the hazards. So within the regulation. Now, if I can give a podcast audio footnote, here's my footnote to your question, John. In abatement, when we've had a workplace violence incident and Cal OSHA comes out to investigate and citations are issued, I have had very specific requirements to abate a hazardous condition. And in the abatement, we have had employers agree to, for example, panic buttons at particular locations, particular door security with fobs, particular alarm systems or camera systems. And so in abatement, after there's been an incident, and Cal OSHA comes in, it's not that they will, will say in writing, do these four things. But when you talk to Cal OSHA and you're, you're trying to work out abatement of a hazard, uh, many times you do have to be very specific about how you are going to address a hazard that has been identified and that is not abated at the time of citation. So Karen, have you had to 
litigate any healthcare workplace violence citations? And if you have, has that litigation varied significantly from or deviated significantly from what traditional Cal OSHA litigation looks like? Yes, it has, John. And let me let me tell you a little bit about that. So I've had a couple of hospital patient assault cases. And the first thing to talk about is the advocacy by the nurses union. And, you know, they're going to advocate for their nurses, typically seek party status under the Cal OSHA regulations. And with that party status, be part of the discovery, be present at any depositions, and also be present at status conferences and, and even at trial. So it's important to remember that in these cases, many times party status comes up early with a, with a motion and they're typically granted. If the person's an employee and they were involved in a violent incident, they're represented by a union, both the union and the person can get party status. So I see party status much more so in these kind of cases. I think these cases that involve assaultive behavior, especially on a staff member, they can be very jarring for staff and for coworkers. And I find that emotions run very, very high because of the, the violent nature. And um, also it can involve weapons, but different scenarios. But for our average case where someone, let's say their toe gets run over by a forklift, emotions don't tend to run high among coworkers. But in these cases, they do. A lot of times I'll see in the inspector's file that the employee statements uh, use a lot of adjectives. Uh, there's a kind of heightened accusations that, uh, you know, this should have been anticipated. And especially if you get a violent patient who maybe comes back quite a bit, you'll see that people will view the incident through hindsight 2020 vision. And, and that can also be difficult. So I just point those out as, as a nuance with these type of cases compared to maybe traditional OSHA litigation around a heavy industry incident where, you know, it's just a more traditional type of workplace incident. So Karen, in the closing minutes that we have here, I'm going to ask you to cover two things and I apologize. We're just running short on time. Uh, first of all, could you explain to the audience what uh, Title VIII, Section 3343, the, the, the rule that apply to industry as a whole you're anticipating will look like? And then number two, could you speak to what your expectations are relative to California employer compliance with the workplace violence regulations? So right now we have a draft regulation, John, in California, and it's under section 3343. So it will be the section immediately after the healthcare regulation. And this is an all industry standard. It's in draft form as of 2020, early 2023, last revised in May of 2022. The previous revision was in 2018. So COVID really kind of took this regulation off track. We expect it to be voted on in 2023. And there's currently also a bill in, in Senate Bill 553. It's by State Senator Dave Cortez. And that Senate bill in California 
directs Cal OSHA to develop and approve a workplace violence prevention standard for all industries. And I'll just give a very high level overview. It's, it's very akin to the IIPP where it's very broadly worded and it doesn't have the specificity of the healthcare standard, but you do have to have that written plan and a person responsible for the written plan. There will be a violent incident log similar to healthcare. There will be training similar to healthcare and record keeping requirements. So we'll know more once the, the draft is set for a vote before the Cal OSHA Standards Board, but we do expect it to be approved and likely um, implemented for January 1, 2024 or July 1. They'll, they'll pick one of those dates and then all California employers will need to comply with that. Well, thank you so much, Karen and, and Philip and Wayne and Karen. I appreciate you joining us for this podcast. I, I thank you for your insight. I'm sure our audience will find great value in, in your wisdom. And um, we look forward to chatting with you all again in the future. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.